And we're off. Shocker to hear you say that. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. Now I'm at the point where just around the house, I'll randomly say like, and Steph is just like, you've, you've got to stop. Somebody busted me. I've admitted it though. I think it was my sister-in-law. She said, you have picked up Patrick's phrase 100% <laughs> and you say it all the time. It's true. It makes me you're so bad happy. Influ- you're a bad influence on me. Yes. Well, you are too. Cause I walk around and I'm like, it is right. It is truly right and just our duty and our and salvation <laughs> always and everywhere. So I'm it's like, impressed. what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, it is truly right and just. So thank you for that. You're, you're welcome. I don't know why I've always loved that. And I, every time you started, I say it in my head. Can't remember yeah. the rest of all the, the mass, well, that's, that's, that's the preface of the mass. And so it always <laughs> starts the same, but then it goes, it changes them. Which yeah. Which really it. flusters me. Yeah. It's like four different ones, right? Yeah. We do it just to frustrate you. That's right. Yeah. As soon as I feel like I'm getting it, boom, new one. Yeah. I still do need, we, we've talked about this before, but I don't know if I'm ever going to get to do it, but it would be fun to go to other churches and just be like a lay person again. At a, at a Catholic church? Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, both and. It would yeah. be fun to go to a Protestant church too, but quick story on that. Uh, Years ago, they used to make me think of this. Years ago, I gave a homily, and I it's one of the only homilies I remember. But it was it was about God taking delight in His people, and I told a story about my mom watching my mom. Uh, I was with her at a basketball game with my niece. So Claire Jane had a basketball game, and she played for Our Lady of Fatima. And I said, I said it was so good to see my mother delight in Claire Jane even though she plays for Our Lady of Fatima, which is totally lame. (laughs) And somebody was at that mass that goes to Fatima, of course. Nice. And they're like, oh my gosh, the priest at Lourdes went after Fatima. (laughs) (laughs) Shots fired. And so the priest emailed me and he was like, he was like, what are you doing? Really? He's a, he's a foreign priest. And he emailed me and it was really funny. He thought that the woman had said lay, like L A Y, like a lay person. And I said, Fatima is a totally lame school. And he thought I said it was a lay school. And he was like, what do you mean by calling our school a lay school? <laughs> yeah. So I had to eat my. Was that when you first, first-ish got to Lourdes? I think I'd been here a couple of years, but, you know, it's kind of hard because you love your family, but Lourdes is my home team. That's right. And now St. Louis as well. This is home base. So if Lourdes, you know, well, I guess, I guess never mind. I'm just not going to go there. But <laughs> it is tough, though. Like I can only imagine with all your homilies and daily and daily mass, all that stuff. Like we always kind of joke. You do an hour long podcast. I think we're on. We do like, an hour long podcast. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I think we're on like episode seventy. Okay. Something like that. And it's there's no way you're not going to say something that's either going to be misinterpreted or that you really regret. Oh. And I'm saying like us, like I, me, it's, it's a lot of talking to not mess up or yeah. have it, have it somehow turn you know, into that something. That was a reading today. The the first reading at mass was from Jeremiah and there's a, he talks about how people are listening very carefully to his words to trap him. Oh. And if anyone's trying to trap me, you get a hundred percent to it. A hundred percent. Like anyone knows if you're, if you're a pastor or a speaker, you talk all the time and I'm, I have priced at so many dumb and contradictory things. Yeah. But that's okay. We're all human. 
We are, hopefully. So you got any uh, any big shout outs this week? Oh man, I'm gonna go. You know, I'm gonna go Gianna actually. Little Jeech, second tooth coming in. Whoa. Yeah. Tooth number two. So, so how often, what's the spacing like between teeth? I have no idea. Because this one was just, it was two weeks maybe? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But after the first one. That's right. First one came in two what weeks if ago. All, what if you were a baby and all of your teeth came in right at the same time? Overnight. It'd kind of be nice. That, I don't that'd know. That would be painful. But it would. But at least you're one and done. It'd be yeah. like multiple surgeries. You know, like when Mary yeah. had her knees done. Yeah. It's like, let's just get it over with. It's going to be double the pain, but then we're not to go back to it. Yeah. So I bought all these teether toys. Amazon showed up and Steph was so mad last night. She's like, why are there seven boxes? And I've got like 27 different teethers. It's awesome. I have that same issue. Yeah. I can bring one in for you. If you yeah. <laughs> what is, what is FB chewing on? That would well, be my, my, my shout out today goes to Aaron Lambert. Yes. Who is here in the, the room, my office, my beautiful office with us. Uh, Aaron works at the Denver Catholic. He writes a lot for them and edits for them and manages a lot of things over there. That's right. And I've known him uh, since my early days of priesthood, him and his wife and his whole family. Uh, so shout out to all the clan. How many kids do you guys have now? Going on four. Almost four. How do you be almost? So really you've got four, but the four's not born. Right? That's right. Almost there. Three girls, one boy. He's going to be, he's going to be tough. He is in the thick of it. Yeah. So, all right, my friend, what are we? So I have a, I have a story. What are we talking about? And this is where I, I want to go. I want to pick your brain on this. I think I've said it before, but Steph goes to, um, a Bible study with Oliver. It's kind of, to me, it's kind of funny, but it's like her best friends and their parents. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. Fun. So it's spearheaded by one of her like childhood best friends. It's her mom and they go to her mom's house mm. and super faithful group. But Steph is the only Catholic there, which is, um, super interesting perspective. And the, the Bible studies, pretty unique the protestant church and, and at least in my you know two minutes of doing the bible studies there they do a good job of like um giving handouts and guidance to guide kind of the conversation yep so they'll dive into it and i'm sure if you were there you'd go bonkers of misinterpretation of you know true script like scripture or whatnot it's, it's definitely i would say more surface level kind of feely so you think i'm a judgmental person Hence why I'm going to give you the <laughs> teether. I know, um, <laughs> I know you do think that about me. I just, probably, no, yeah. I always crack up. That's where I say like, I would love to go through like books with you that are not, you know, Benedict and Baltazar and all this crazy stuff. But sure. like the lay person the or lay, lame not, person, not the lame person, <laughs> but the lay person or both. Um, but so she was there last night and um, just kind of paraphrasing her story. They were going through and it started to get brought up about the Catholic church and how it feels judgmental that when they show up, they can't or not supposed it. to receive the Eucharist. Yep. And it kind of turned into a whole conversation around like the feeling of judgment 
in the Catholic faith and come to find out several of them have fallen away from yep. the Catholic church. And the question that got brought up, Steph came home and I was like, man, that's, that's a deep question. It's, they said, um, is it better for people that are mad at the Catholic church and hence fallen away to fall away completely and not even venture down the faith path anymore out of resentment or have them go to a Protestant church and still stay on a journey with their faith. Right. And I, I said to Steph, I was like, I don't know. I mean, I would naturally lean towards staying in your faith, but it's uh, it was a deep question. So there was multiple deep things that happened and Steph. I, you know, she tried to say that the church and, uh, Catholics believe in the true presence and all that stuff. But I was like, you know, that's a, that's a deep scenario to be the solo Catholic end. Yeah. So what would you say? What, what do you think? I mean, you would lean, you said more towards, it's better to continue on their faith journey. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, I, I feel like if they stay in their faith journey, it'd be easier to loop back in with, clarifying what the church teaches versus truly overcoming the deep resentment. And, yeah. and you're still going to have that a little bit, but hopefully time has healed. Um, but for somebody that's just like guards up, don't even want to dive into faith. Yeah. That may be more challenging. And it's also hard. So I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I would much rather have them go to a Protestant church by and large, at least. It's, but yeah, it's just such a hard question because I just get so disappointed also that like, like a, a, a parallel question in my mind in some ways is would you rather have someone go to a Protestant church and have their faith come alive or go to a Catholic church that's totally lame Ooh. with an M and they're in the true church, but we all know, right? There's, there are churches out there. We'll only name a couple today. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> There's churches out there, right, where it seems like it seems like it's dead, <laughs> and it seems Some. as though the yeah, there's a lot out there, right, and it seems as if the priest. So a good example of this would be so my my best friend from my childhood, Eric Sweetness Schmidt. I love it. He's the one. Remember, he's the one who gave himself the nickname Sweetness. That's right. As Sweetness. He That's right. Yeah. <laughs> My brother would yell that out on CU's campus. It was hilarious. I love it. But Sweetness was raised in a, a home where... Uh, you can't stop laughing when I say that. It's going to be the best. He was raised in a, a home that was nominally Catholic and nominal in the sense of by name only. Okay. So his parents were my second parents growing up. Uh, Frank and Kathy Schmidt, who I love dearly and are wonderful people. And I disagree with him in terms of worldview about probably just about everything. Um, and I still love them, but they, but Eric wasn't really raised Catholic. They didn't go to church on Sundays. He was baptized. I think that's about it. Yeah. And then, and this is a similar scenario. So when Eric got married, I was his best man and I had just entered seminary. Oh, married in the church or no, no. Nice. And so, uh, his wife, Kristen, so I love those guys. I don't think they're listeners. We'll have to change that. But they, uh, but Eric asked me to be his best man, and they got married in uh, Episcopalian church. She's not Episcopalian, but 
basically it was like Catholicism's too much for my family. We're not getting married in the Catholic for church. For sweetness or his wife? His wife. Okay. And so they got married at the Episcopal church in Steamboat. And it was just a hard moment because you just look like a jerk as a Catholic. And I was wrestling with, do I tell Eric the consequences of him being married outside the church? I did. And honestly, back then, it probably wasn't the right move because Eric just didn't, he wasn't really a practicing Christian. He was always a good man. He still is. And today though, so today he's, uh, he and his wife attend a kind of an evangelical church in Castle Rock. And I'm thrilled. Yep. I love, I mean, his, he, and he was really excited to tell me a couple of years ago that he has really come to love Jesus. And he's really, a, he's like involved in his church. He's on some of the committees and the boards. And I love that. I would love to get to a place with him where we could have an honest conversation about what are the differences and, and why, and does it matter? Or is it just kind of, you know, chocolate ice cream versus Rocky Road. I mean, Rocky Road's way better, but it's kind of interesting with, well, Steph and I went to mass. Um, cause I have, we haven't really, I became Catholic then COVID hit and all the above. So we really haven't traveled that much, but we went to California a while ago and, uh, man, that mass was brutal. Yeah. Like it was, I, and my, one of my best friends, Nick, um, he's Catholic, kind of in the, the same way, more Christer scenario. But um, yeah. he would always say, when I first started to become Catholic and then after the wedding that he came out for that um, was here at Lourdes, yep. I he was like, man, it's, it's, so, it's so awesome that you have a great priest. Yep. But he's like, everywhere we've gone in California, it just doesn't exist. It's like, unless you're going to go to, you know, it'd be rad to go to mass with Bishop Barron. Yeah. But it's just a, such a different experience. And you even feel you, it. You in just Denver. lost all of our priest listeners in California. That's right. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> Except I, for Bishop Barron. Uh, Bishop yeah, Barron or Coeur hey, I don't know if he did. Would he do mass? He might do mass, huh? Of course he does. He's a, he's a priest. He's a bishop. Of course he does mass. Those would be the two I would go to. Yeah. I like I don't. I, I'm sure there's other great priests in California. Yeah, I'm sure. If Bishop I just Barron, if you're it. listening to us right now, yep. you shouldn't be. Because <laughs> there's better things you should listen to. Man, you just disappointed me. I yeah. was going to say, if anybody knows him, pass this along. I, yeah. I, uh, oh, this is fun. Well, gosh, uh, sidetracked. I've been hooked. One of my childhood things has been baseball cards. Well, growing up was baseball cards. Yeah, we're, and off, there's, we're in left field right now. That's, that's right. Okay. Down the street, there's one. But I was on eBay looking this up, and I found a Pope. They came out with a Pope Benedict baseball card. Super expensive online. I actually looked at it for you. Oh, wow. But I was going to surprise you with it, but it was, it was actually like a one-of-one one card that was like way too expensive. Yeah, don't buy me stuff like that. But <laughs> I was like, I, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to get like a Bishop Barron card signed. Yeah. Anyways. Um but it is, it's rare to find. So I, I do think that's an interesting question because especially in the Protestant world, like, and not that Catholics aren't, but they can be on fire. Yep. And I think it's, you know, in Bishop, Bishop Aaron's book, didn't he cite that there was like some crazy statistic of Catholics that don't actually believe currently that don't actually presence. believe in the true presence. Yeah. And that's, that's a stat that's thrown around a lot. And I, it's, I'm sure it's true. It's not, you know, in our kind of, <clears throat> in our kind of world here in Denver, 
I don't feel like we don't encounter so people that much who have that. Uh, it doesn't seem at least I might be mistaken, but that's, I think that's a lot and not to be judgmental, but I think, I think that's a lot of the culture of like East coast Catholicism. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I know obviously there's great Catholics all over the country, but, but in Denver, in Denver, it seems like Denver was a secular city. And so there's, you, we still have the reality of people who were born into the church and they were, yeah. they were baptized Catholic as infants and who are just cultural Catholics, but not as much as it seems as kind of the East coast. Um, so did you always believe in the true presence? I was taught to, I, I would say I did, but at different levels. So you're taught to believe it. Yeah. And then right. You get, you get to college and I, I had all the questions of like, when you don't understand the logic of it, yeah, I was questioning it. Why, why would this be important? And isn't it just kind of weird? And does right. that piece of bread really become the flesh of Jesus Christ? That just, you know, to quote John chapter six, <laughs> it's, hard to this, it, it's a hard saying. It's yeah. hard. It is hard. And so I, I, I don't think I ever was in an explicit place where I denied it. Yep. But I definitely had periods of time where I was really questioning it. Um, I feel like for Steph last night, like if that was me, and I do believe in the true presence, but it would be a very easy stumble block for me to start not like bumbling over my words trying to explain it. Like, yep, I, it's something I feel and I do believe, but to actually cite anything or try to convince somebody, they'd be like, "Wait, so you're telling me the the." host actually becomes the flesh and the you know yep. all that stuff that it, it that's a challenging thing for me to it is it's a hugely explain. challenging thing and why i think that's a big part of it is like why would god do something like that that yeah. doesn't it just doesn't make a lot of sense so let's get back yeah. to our question though so i i mean i would say so with the first part of it and i do want to talk about why did why does the catholic church not allow yes other Christians not to receive the Eucharist. Why is that the case? But, but really quick, I think I would say back to the question of if someone, if someone's frustrated with Catholicism, what path would I prefer they take? Well, clearly I think Protestantism or if they're an Eastern Orthodox, that's even better, but some other Christian church, I would a thousand times prefer because we still share a lot of the same beliefs. Yep. Right. And there's still, if they go, like we talk about in Colorado here, we have a giant church uh, called Flatirons. And I certainly disagree with many of the things they teach there. And I also, in the same sentence, believe they're amazing. And they do a lot of great things. And people go to that church, I think much like your experience of Red Rocks. Yep. And there's a lot of good things happening. Yeah. And people discover uh, that they're loved. Yep. And I wish the Catholic Church, I wish that we as priests would do a better job of how important that message is for people that God doesn't love you because you performed well. Yep. God, God's love always goes first. It always precedes our response to it. And God's love for us frees us so that we can live transformed lives, but the order matters. And, and a lot of people, honestly, they go to evangelical churches and they receive the Catholic teaching there that God's love comes first. Yep. And sometimes much better than in Catholic churches. As you were saying that I deja vu, I think probably the second or third service I went to at Red Rocks had to do with, uh, and I'm going to butcher the scripture and, and where it's at, but it was the yoke of slavery uh -huh. and that whole message. Do you so kind of know? I'm not sure if I know. So, so yoke, right. is like, uh, 
that that image is used a lot in scripture. Okay. But it's a yoke, right, is when you when you have a animal that's either carrying a load or is plowing a field. Yep. The yoke is that bar that goes over their neck. Okay. So they can pull things behind them. Yeah. So the message had to do with like um kind of sin and guilt and that bar yep. kind of puts you in a, a form of like slavery. Yep. Like it suppresses you. Scripture, uh-huh. And um but on the flip side, like God does love you. Uh-huh. And that message really landed for me as I coming from zero faith and like background into it. And as a welcome into the church, kind of like all of a sudden be like, Whoa, I've never understood life that way. Yep. Yeah. And so I think one of the big questions, right. For, for Catholics and to get to Steph's Bible study is how do all these things fit together? Yes. So if you have a positive experience at evangelical church, which obviously tons of people do, and lots of fallen away Catholics do. What we want to do as Catholics is we want to affirm, like, that's amazing. Yep. And when someone preaches Jesus and his redemption and his freedom he gives to people, we're all about that. But then there's there's other questions that still matter. Right? So so one of the things in American Christianity we do is we say, Well, you know, Jesus loves you, he died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and the rest is all just kind of details. And that's at the end of the day, that's that works for about a year when you're a new convert. Yeah. But, but actually what Jesus says, right in, in the great commission uh, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, right? He sends the apostles out and he says, um, go make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. Right or, or for instance, like Jesus will say in the Sermon on the Plain, in Luke's Gospel, he'll say, why do you call me Lord, but you do not do what I tell you? And so some of the details really matter. And the Eucharist is at the heart, is the beating heart of all Christianity, whether people know it or not. Uh, and so it's something that actually matters. Yeah. And so that's where... And I think that one a good analogy, a parallel for these these people in Steph's Bible study, who I'm sure are phenomenal Christians are probably better than I am. Uh, but but a, a great question is who gets to decide what's central and what's fringe? This is a question that's very hard for evangelicals to answer. Uh, what they've basically decided on is there's four truths that they they've kind of agreed. We'll agree about these four things, and we'll just not talk about the other things because they just cause fighting. Interesting. But by doing that, they have they have uh, given themselves an authority they don't have. What are the four things? These, are, these sometimes are called the four um, spiritual laws, and I'm going to get them wrong. But it's basically uh, God created the world good. Uh, sin separates us from God and damaged our relationship with Him. Um, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to to redeem you. And if you, the fourth one is probably the one we'd have the only real problem with the fourth one is uh, faith alone. If you confess him as Lord, got it. You know, Romans ten nine, then you'll go to heaven. And you know, we just think it's, we don't disagree with Romans ten nine. We just think it's a little more complex than that, but who gets to decide? Interesting. Steph said something too, that was um, when you become Catholic and you believe that the Eucharist is a true presence, that it's the profession of, uh, Profession of your faith, 
that you're basically, when you become Catholic, you are saying too, that you believe in all that the church teaches, uh-huh. um, which I think was kind of where she was trying to go with the Eucharist and why you're not supposed to receive if you are not Catholic. Yeah. And so, so that we're getting more towards the centerpiece of this right now. And I think, I think one of the, the central questions for us as Catholics, but for anybody who's a Christian should, and people don't think this way, but we, we've grown up in a country that was, that is profoundly individualistic and, and Protestantism lends itself to a profoundly individualistic conception of reality because for Protestants, all that matters is me and Jesus. Okay. And so it looks, we just look like mean people. We're like, they're like, Hey, I I'm saved. I love Jesus. I love him. What do you mean? I can't receive communion. Why do I have to go to a, that? Why do I have to go to a priest for, to confess my sin? Sure. That's a whole nother podcast. Right. Don't jump topics. But, but those are kind of the, I feel like a lot of that stuff starts to go hand in hand. They do. Like, they, they, and the, this is where like when in John 19, when they take Jesus's cloak and they're going to divide it and they can't cause it's has no seams in it. It's woven top to bottom as the seamless garment. The church fathers see that as Catholic teaching that whoa. you actually can't separate it. It's, it's woven from top to bottom. It's seamless. You pull on one part of it and the whole thing comes, comes apart. So you're right. All these things are related. Um, but, I, but a big question that, that all of us as Christians need to ask is why does unity matter? And this is, I teach on this in RCIA all the time, but Protestants miss this. Uh, and so, so to understand this, you've got to understand that the story of the Bible, it's funny that Aaron's here today. I just wrote an article for the Denver Catholic. Hopefully it's not terrible. But part of what I wrote about in there is that sin, sin cre- the story of the, of the Bible is a story that sin creates division. And I hope Steph's Bible say listens to this. Same. So when Adam and Eve sin, they distrust each other. Right after the fall, they start blaming each other. Uh, and so Adam blames Eve when God confronts him. Eve blames the serpent and their, their communion with each other is divided. Yep. Right. And then right after that, you jump, right. Then who are Adam and Eve's sons? Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Got one. <laughs> Boom. We All get, right, guys, have a good weekend. <laughs> we should get one of those bells in here. That's right. The, like they had it where we stayed for the wedding where they, you ring the bell when you get an answer. Right? No, I want a con like the giant Kong that I can just go up and, Boom. Or we could have Rosemary in here and she could just go <laughs> ring a ding ding. <laughs> I That's can't right. even do it. Ring a ding ding ding. Uh yes. Nailed it. I was nervous to say it, but I'm so happy I just nailed, you nailed it. Nailed it, man. That's right. So so you have the you have this division, and so Adam and Eve are separated. Cain kills his brother. Yeah. And then in gen- the Genesis story, what happens is that the division grows and grows and grows to the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel is a rebellion against God when you study that passage closely. And what happens is everyone's divided. And N.T. Wright, again, who's not a Catholic, he's so good, he gets all this. Redemption in Christ doesn't just mean I'm now saved. It means all the division that sin causes is going to be reversed. And the, the main letter, I mean, this is all over the New Testament, but the letter to the Ephesians is extremely strong in that. Let me read one passage from that. 
So in Ephesians 2, St. Paul is going to say this. And this is, a, this is a passage, we've probably quoted it before. But in Ephesians 2.12, and Paul is talking to non, non-Christians. He says, remember that you, or I'm sorry, I should say non-Jews. So they, these are people who have become Christians, but they were not Jewish. Oh. He says, so remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. And that, that seems like, okay, salvation was I was separated from God. Jesus died so I can be united to God and go to heaven. Yep. And it seems like Paul should just stop there. But he goes on. He says, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise. Have you no hope and without God in the world? But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near in the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. Um, and he goes on, I'm going to jump to uh, verse 18. Through him, meaning Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And again, like for a Protestant, I think, that's it right there. We have access to the Father. What more do you want? This is Christianity. We have access to the Father. But he says, he goes on again, verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and sojourners, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So there's a, there's a ton of different places this is shown. In Ephesians 4, St. Paul is going to list seven unities of the church, seven ways that we find unity. In John chapter 15, right, Jesus is going to talk about how all men will know that you're my followers by the love you have for each other. Acts, we get uh, the Feast of Pentecost, the birth of the church, and the church has always understood that Pentecost undoes the Tower of Babel. So at Babel, the languages are scattered, but on the Feast of Pentecost, the Spirit falls, and all the nations gathered in Jerusalem hear the apostles preaching in their own languages. In tongues. Gosh, I'm on fire. Thanks, guys. That was a really bad pun. That's true. I'm on That's fire. True. Anyways, <laughs> but you see where I'm, you see what I'm saying with that? I think so. I think Protestants and a lot of Catholics, we've grown up in this culture with a with a kind of mentality that's very individualistic. And so, if, as long as I'm in communion with Jesus, that's all that matters. And the reality is, is that we have forty thousand Christian denominations in the yep. United States, and Jesus didn't start forty thousand churches. And people will say, well, well, the church means all believers. And again, the, the problem with that is if there's one church, and really there's no difference between Baptists and Lutherans and Catholics and Orthodox Christians, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you have what we call a schizophrenic church. So you have a church that believes that one, all at the same time, we have a church that teaches that the Pope is the vicar mm. of Christ, the representative of Christ's authority on earth, and it also believes that he is the Antichrist. You have a church that at the same time teaches that praying to Mary <clears throat> is super helpful and a, sen- and a big part of the Christian life and that it's idolatry to pray to Mary. You can't, that's, it's just nonsense. Like unity has to mean something. Unity can't mean we all disagree and we have completely contradicting views, but as long as you love Jesus, that's all that matters. That, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so step back. Two things come to mind. In Ephesians, yep. St. Paul addresses Christians. Yep. So they're not 
what's the step there? Like I've always felt, I mean, just that alone, doesn't that show the separation of like Catholicism and Christians? Like if they don't believe, say that again, they're not Jewish, they're Christians, but they're not what? Gentiles. So, so the big thing is in the old covenant, and then this is the point Paul's getting at is that there were all these divisions in Galatians. Paul's going to talk about this too, but there were all these divisions in the world. And a lot of it was due to ethnicity. You're Canadian. I'm Guatemalan, you know, obviously I'm Guatemalan, but but ethnicities divide people. Okay. At least they can. They're not all bad. There's great good in ethnicities, but that the, the division. So in, in Judaism in the old covenant, there's a big dividing line between Jews and non-Jews. And so what Jesus is, or what Paul is saying there is that when Christ died on the cross, yes, he reconciled us to God, but it didn't just do that. It also reconciled us to each other. Got it. And then the hatred and the division between us was dissolved and it was brought into a unity, which is why the church is not, a fringe part of Christianity. Protestants think that they're taught to think the church is just this kind of loose collaboration of people who believe in Jesus. But all that really matters is if you believe in Jesus, that's, that's not true. The, the church is central to the work of what Christ did on the cross as the reunification of the human race. Oh, that's deep. And this, and this gets at communion. So, <clears throat> so communion means something. And it's tied to all these different things. You get that seamless garment. A lot of Protestants don't believe it's the true presence of Jesus. They think it's a symbol. Okay, yep. Uh, and that's one reason why they shouldn't receive communion. But even if they do, so I've, I'll have Protestants who come to me and they say, hey, I've been convinced. I've studied scripture. I've read the early church fathers, right? Um, so why can't I receive communion? And the reason is because the church is not uh, a side. Like when you go to Mod Market, actually I went to Chick-fil-A yesterday. Chick-fil-A is going to be my downfall when I, I discovered Chick-fil-A like six months ago. I was going to say, I didn't know you were really, you've uh, never been a big fan of that. I never really went. You're a now, Jimmy John's guy. Now I've gone and it's, I'm, it's going to be my downfall. Hooked. Okay. So yesterday I'm like, I got a spicy chicken sandwich. Yep. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to want a little more. So I got a side of mac and cheese. Ooh, which yeah. is good there. It is it's very good. Uh, this is why priests are obese. <laughs> but, but it, like it seems, it can seem like the church is just that side of mac and cheese. It's like Jesus is the is the meat. Just just and it seems oh, like I it's see just what you're it's okay. just an option on the menu, an extra. It's an aside. And that's to misunderstand the message of the New Testament. And so, from a Catholic perspective. So why does it, why does any of this matter? Um, the union of the church is part of God's redemption of the world. It's him setting things right. It's him making, it's him undoing sin and making things as they should be. And there's one church. And to, and to say, I want to receive communion, but I don't want to be united to the church. That that's contradictory. The church is the communion of the Eucharist. And so, so for Protestants, and they're not thinking this way, and I know they're not, but I, like I had one at the, the wedding we did in Mexico. There was a guy who came up to me, and 
I pride myself on welcoming non-Catholics to yep. Catholic weddings and funerals. And I did all the stuff I normally do. And a guy, he was very nice. I'm glad he came and talked to me. And he said a similar thing. He said, hey, you did a great job. I'm, I'm Jewish. I'm not a Christian. And I felt so welcome. Thank you for welcoming us and explaining things. And it was great. He said, but my wife, on the other hand, is not happy with you. Because she Which wasn't, <laughs> she wasn't allowed. She did not come talk to me. Yeah. But she sent the message through her husband. Uh, and he said, you know, my wife is not happy with you because you didn't let her receive communion. And that she's just really upset. Because she's Christian? Yeah, she's a Presbyterian, I think he said. Okay. Some type of Christian, though. And it just, we just look like we're just mean. Yeah. Yeah. We're just mean. And, and here's the, th- here's a, what this is all about, though. The church is the union of the of men and women in Jesus Christ. And you can't say, I want to be in union with Jesus, but not with Catholics. The church. You can't do that. Like, this is the whole biblical message, is this unification and this communion that happens through Christ in his victory over sin and death. Sin and death divide us. They cut us off necessarily Jesus's conquering of death means the unity of mankind, which means not, it does not mean brothers and sisters, 40,000 denominations. It can't mean that. It's wild too with like, um, when I became Catholic, remember the big questions I had for stuff. I was like, okay, wait. So when we go on vacation, no matter where we're at, we, on a Sunday, we have to go to mass. Yep. And I was like that, no, like, especially in the Protestant world where it's like, okay, well, I'll just watch this is well before COVID. I'll just watch it online on Tuesday yep, and enjoy it and, or take a few weeks off. But I, I love Jesus, so it's fine. And so having a lot of things like going to mass on Sundays, all that stuff is a misunderstanding of the, of what Jesus says. Yeah. And. I think a really important point here, Pope Benedict makes this. If anybody's out there, if you want a great book on this, and I know this is not an easy read, but Pope Benedict has a book called Pilgrim Fellowship of Faith. And it's all about why the church is the Eucharist and why communion is the central concept of what it means to be a Christian. And it's phenomenal. It's a collection of essays. And then towards the end of the book, he has a series of letters he wrote with a Lutheran bishop and then with a, Eastern Orthodox uh, patriarch bishop Um, and they're phenomenal and one of the big points Pope Benedict makes here and this is I I had to look this up earlier so an obscure book of the Bible that's one page long last book before Revelation is the letter of Jude in this but this is central what Pope Benedict says so in Jude 3 they they usually don't skip chapters in Jude because there's only one chapter so you just say Jude 3 instead of Jude 1 through. But, uh, so it says this. It says, Beloved, uh, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all. Break that down. So here's my point with this. And this is Pope Benedict's point that I'm just stealing with him, which is what I do for pretty much everything I do. What I think a lot of people are used to thinking is that the, Jesus dies, he rises from the dead, 
Paul writes his letters, the gospel writers begin writing. And I think they think over time, slowly, this small movement grows up into what we think of as the Christian church or the Catholic church. That's completely backwards. Whoa, okay. It's completely backwards. And what Pope Benedict says in this book and what that verse says, it isn't the case that Christianity was a grassroots movement and it grew up into something universal. That's not what happened. God gave us the church all at once and he gave us the full, what what Catholics call the deposit of faith, which is all the necessary truths of Christianity were given at the very beginning of Christianity. All of them. They Maybe we didn't understand all of them to their fullest extent, but all of them were there from the beginning, which is what Jude 1, 3 says, right? If you didn't hear that one more time, he says, the f- I contend to contend for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. Wow. The fullness of the truth. And this, and this goes hand in hand with Pentecost. So Pope Benedict says, and he talks about this, how the church at Jerusalem, it might seem like it was a local church. And then 10 years later, there's a church that kind of grows up at Antioch in Syria, which is a major Christian center in the early centuries of Christianity. And then it makes its way to Alexandria in Egypt. And slowly these other churches pop up and the church is growing into this worldwide thing. And Benedict says, no, you're missing the point because of what Luke says at, and when the day of Pentecost comes. So in Acts of the Apostles, when Luke talks about the day of Pentecost, in chapter 2, um, verse 5, he's building up for the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. He says, There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Every nation. And the Holy Spirit falls, and it's the undoing of, of Babel. Every nation under heaven at Pentecost, here's the one gospel. And Benedict talks about how for the early church fathers and early Christians, when you actually study them, with, which most people don't, the church didn't grow into something universal. The church was universal on the very first moment of its existence, which was the day of Pentecost. And grew. Wow. And it grew in numbers. Yeah. But, but from the very first day, the church was universal. And so the point of this, right, with communion is that historically what happened is there was one church and certain Christians over time for, and oftentimes because of the fault of Catholics, but nevertheless they did it. They broke off from that one church and then they tell us you're a jerk because you don't let me receive communion. And I, and a lot of people don't know this, but, but literally Protestant churches were founded as adversarial to the Catholic Church. With a grudge. Yeah, and, you know, I understand why. There were problems in the church, but then they get mad that they that we don't have full communion with them. <laughs> I've never thought of that. Yeah. And people aren't used to thinking, can I give one more quote, and then I'm going to, I've talked way too much. Yeah, as you pull that, well, yeah, okay. Uh, can you quickly explain Pentecost, and my question from there mm-hmm. saying, do I don't remember, but do Protestants celebrate or understand Pentecost as much as I feel like it's Easter? Sure. 
There's but a I, nuance. I they do. Okay. So there's a because it's in scripture. So yeah, they, yeah. They, they you know they're gonna love scripture. So they, it depends on the church. Some Protestant churches would celebrate Pentecost very similarly to the way we do. Okay. They understand, but but regardless, if you went to like a mega church, yep. they're certainly gonna talk about Pentecost and they're gonna understand that. So Pentecost comes 50 days after Easter, and there's a lot of biblical meaning to that number. So they'll talk about it. And, I, and I, you know, I don't go to a lot of Protestant churches, but, <laughs> but I guarantee you, if you went to Flatirons or Red Rocks or any of the other big churches, pretty much any church, they're going to, they're going to talk about Pentecost and they're going to talk about why it was important and why it matters. And, but I don't, what they generally miss, what they'll, I imagine at least what they'll talk about is Pentecost is the day the spirit comes on the church you have to have the spirit in your life to be a, to live a Christian life, which is totally true. And they'll say a lot of true things. What they generally miss is Pentecost is the day that God united humanity from its fractured, broken enmity into one church. And they tend to miss that because they've broken away from that unity. Yeah. And is that where a lot of symbolism, like I even think with baptism, right? Like it's always, especially at the Protestant church where it's just a, get up here if you want to profess your faith yeah in the baptism baptism it's like yes i love jesus he loves me but the church is way deeper than that yeah on a, on a lot, lot of things there's just a lot of nuances right again yeah. like back to the question of is is the one church just anybody who believes in jesus well a challenge to most christians then would be like well then why aren't mormons considered christians by most protestants yep yep and who gets to decide where the lines are and other, you know, there's tons of questions like, are the sacraments symbols or are they real? Right. Most Protestants would say they're symbols, but there's a number who believe they're actually real and communicate grace. Um, another question would be, um, can women be priests? Right. What about, what about gay marriage? You know, the Anglican church came out, you know, probably 20 years ago now and affirmed gay marriage. There's a huge battle in a lot of churches about that question. Totally. Who gets to decide? And so you, you're brought back to, to have unity in the church. You don't just need an authority, but you do need an authority. And all of historical Christianity, all of it says that authority that holds the church in union is called the Pope. <laughs> it's called the papacy. And, okay, but here, really quick. So there's a great quote in the catechism, but it's just from the writings of St. Justin Martyr. Uh, if I can find it, did I not mark it? Uh, oh, here it is. Okay. So uh, this is from uh, the Apologia of St. Justin Martyr. I know you don't laugh at me. <laughs> the what? So th it's like an apology. It all means it's a defense. It's okay. a word that means in Greek, it means a defense. So St. Justin Martyr is a philosopher in the second century, and he's defending his faith. Okay. So I th if I remember right, this documents in like the 160s AD. So here's, think about this. And if you're, if you're in Steph's Bible study, which listen to this quote, this is from a martyr of the early, early Christian church. And here's what he says. He says, because this bread and wine have been made Eucharist, we call this food Eucharist. And no one may take part in it unless he believes that what we teach is true has received baptism for the forgiveness of sins and new birth and lives in keeping with what Christ taught. 
That's from about the year. I don't, I, I don't know the exact year off the top of my head, but it's about the year 165. Um, guess who still teaches that today? The Catholic Church, right? And we live in this Protestant culture where what really matters is your intentions. Right. If I have a good heart and I mean well, then I should just be able to do what I want to do. That's, that's one last kind of one-liner. One of the things I love telling people that's a good one-liner on this issue, everyone is welcome to communion with Christ. Everyone. That's the whole point of the Catholic Church. Everyone is invited to communion, but not on their terms. On his terms. And so on this issue, Protestants want to say, well, I believe in Jesus. I have faith, so I should be able to go to communion. People who believe that the church should change its teaching on homosexuality or who are living active homosexual lives will say, why don't I get to go to communion? Yeah. Right? Uh, people will say, a lot of Catholics will say, uh, why should I have to go to confession? Just because I miss mass or, and they may not understand. Everyone is welcome to communion, but not on their terms, on, on the terms of Christ. And those have not, I mean, essentially those have not changed in 2,000 years. The Balthazar has another image for this. He talks about Christian attunement. And so if you're a musician, if you play an instrument, like I play guitar, when you tune your instrument, you have to tune it to something. So if my guitar strings are out of whack, right, I, I have a guitar tuner, or like a, you could have like a, if someone's, if you're tuning to another instrument, you could have the piano play like an E, and then you take your E string, and, you, and if your E is out of whack, you tune it to the E. Match it. The question behind all of this is what's the thing we tune it towards and how do we know? The Catholic claim is that to tune yourself to Jesus means the objective teachings of Catholicism that were delivered once for all have been there always through all of history. And even if you have the best of intentions, I believe that people who promote same-sex marriage have great intentions. I really yeah. do. Yeah, I think many of them are again, far better people than me, but they're not the teachings of Jesus Christ. He is the standard, not how we feel about things. That's what makes it so unique with, you know, and I hate what I'm about to say. <laughs> when, That's a great line. when people get around you, Father Brian, it's a different experience of understanding the faith, which is why I, it's tough when, when you're coming from a place of like, to your point, like when people want to justify it and in their mind, they're like, everyone is loved. Therefore, even if you're gay or gay marriage and that stuff, it's coming from a good place, Yep. but it's really rare to meet somebody. And hence why your RCIA classes have 80 people in it, which is probably more than most churches combined. Yep. Um, to have that explanation and to really kind of dive in. That's why going back to the original question, if you sat down with most Protestants who have the love and have a basic understanding of scripture, it takes very little for s someone to kind of understand and be convinced of what you're saying. Sure. And because well, it's true, it but you have a way of articulating person. it. Yeah. It depends on the person. But that's why I'd rather have them go to Protestant churches. It's because eventually these questions are going to come up. Right? Like even a very basic example would be I have Protestant friends who when a pastor changes at a church, the rules change. 
So one pastor's there and hey, you know what? Drink in moderation. It's totally Got fine. It. The yep. next pastor comes in. Alcohol is straight from the devil, straight mm-hmm, from hell. Mm-hmm. No one's allowed to drink. Changes again. Everybody's back to drinking. And eventually a lot, there's a lot of avenues that lead towards the question of, is there anything that doesn't change? Or is it just because this new pastor, we like her or him. And the great thing about being a Catholic, right, is that uh, you can pull out the teachings of the Catholic Church and they're consistent with what was taught in the second century, with the Bible, with the eighth century, with the 15th century, uh, because truth doesn't change. And, you, and we got a two for one special. I wanted to throw this challenge I love out. Those. You're too good to me. I try to be a good Catholic and a good priest. Uh, there's lots of good priests here in Denver, but we, I want to get a challenge out. We need five men to enter the seminary, make that decision today. All right? That's right. So we, and I'm very seriously, um, I have learned a lot of things over the years, but I'm not that special. Anybody can learn this stuff. You really can but we need men who will give their lives to Christ. We have a vocations shortage. You know what we need? We need men and women who will give their lives for Christ and who will learn these things and who can, who guess what? Who can say true things and not be a jerk. doesn't seem like it should be that hard. I bet you could do that if you're out there listening. I bet you're one of those people out there that you could learn the truth and say it with courage, but you could say it in a way that's loving and compassionate. If you can do that, you'd be a phenomenal priest if you're male. Was, That's another topic there for another time. Nice. Uh, side note on that question. I was thinking about this the other day. The lack of vocations. Do, do you think that with all the new like apostolates, and I don't want to bang, like focus and Christ in the city and yep. all these different things, and I don't know how long that kind of um, apostolate scenario has been around, but do you think that has drawn away vocations at all? Drawn away vocations? Yeah. Um, like you could kind of go into that, then go to the AI and kind of like sure. work your way up. Like, I don't know how long that's been around. I think the church needs to be very concrete in the way it promotes vocations. I think people over-spiritualize, back to our, our podcast on prudence, they'll say, I just prayed about it and God told me I'm supposed to be a Dominican. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I don't really go for that stuff. I think... You go to a parish with Dominican priests and you like them and they're good priests. And so you want to be a Dominican. That's good. That's human. So I think the church needs to be very strategic and smart about how we promote vocations. At the same time, I don't think it's a zero sum game. Got it. Like, I don't think we should look at like a great order here in Denver is the um, disciples of the sacred hearts of Jesus and Mary. They have a parish in Littleton. Um, and I do get jealous of them sometimes just because they've got a lot of really good things going, but they're great priests and I, and they're, they're getting vocations to their order. And I think a temptation is to see it as a zero sum game. If that guy didn't go with the disciples, he would have gone to Denver. Yep. And I don't think that's a healthy way of thinking. I think their gain is not our loss, but I do think we can learn from them. For instance, they have, I think four priests at St. Mary's who are phenomenal, really good priests and I think if we do more things like that, young men can say, wow, like it would be really attracted to be a priest in a community. And I could do that as a diocesan priest in Denver. So we should wrap up. Oh, that was deep. I, I do hope um, Steph can, well, I'm going to press her on it, but pass it along. And I think it's, it is such an interesting um, scenario. Do you think that if, 
you met with a Protestant uh-huh. that wasn't when you had just said, it kind of depends on the person in front of you. Do you think in their heart, if they've, if they're coming from a grudge with the church and they're hearing the truth um, that it's more about breaking down that resentment than it is like they genuinely just don't believe what you're saying to, to quote someone I know a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. Because it, it makes sense. And, and it, it doesn't just make sense. It does make sense, but it's also part of the historical teaching of Christianity for 2000 years. And so <clears throat> if people's hearts, I mean, and I do want to say, you know, there are Protestants that are much smarter than me, uh, who are much better Christians than me, who wrestle with this and have not become Catholic. But generally those people are very close. People like N.T. Wright. N.T. Wright, th- that's a whole other conversation, why he's not a Catholic. I think there's a number of reasons. Um, but I tell you what, N.T. Wright looks way too Catholic to most Protestants. Yeah. And he, because he knows his stuff and he's, he's a very good man, he's very intelligent, he has read the Church Fathers, Generally, when people, a Protestant, if they start reading early Christian authors, not always, but a lot of the time, they're in trouble of becoming Catholic. Because they have their own interpretation of Scripture. Yep. And they say, well, Catholics, you have your interpretation, I have mine, and I think mine's just better. The hard thing is then you go read the great early pillars of Christianity, and they sound awfully Catholic on almost every single issue. And... That's tough when you when you can't find someone who agrees with your position until about the 16th century. Yeah, it's pretty hard. So you also real quick the the other one that kind of blew my mind was there was the question brought up. This was maybe a year or two ago, and I forget. Um, I'm going blank on who asked you this, but the whole you know we say the Hail Mary, all of our prayers as Catholics are. Um, you're hitting every topic today. Pretty, well, no, I think it goes into it though. Like this whole Protestant scenario of it's very structured, same thing over and over again. And then, you know, in Christ with among like Christians, not Catholics, um, it's very like kind of heartfelt, like you're kind of making up with what you're doing. Spontaneous. Yeah. But you had said something though, like at the end of the day, when you hear those over and over again, it's still kind of the same structure. Like there's a formula. Fo- yeah. The formula. That one kind of crushed me. I was like, there's, oh. a for, there's a formula that people uh, learn to do with quote unquote spontaneous prayer. And I think spontaneous prayer is really good, by the way. Yeah, I really do. But I, but I fall into it. You know, if I have a couple in my office, I'll do spontaneous prayer before we meet. And, you know, if you, if you listen to an evangelical pastor, there's a formula. Yep. And not to pick on them, but just a little bit. It's like, there's a, there's a formula. Father God, we just, oh, we just love you and praise you. Father God and Father we just, we just want you to be adored and reverenced and loved in this place. And, and we, right now, we want you to, to let this person know, right? And, and yep. there, it's, it's great to be spontaneous, but form prayers are fine too. And I just, I do, I find that around, it's, it's kind of when people say liturgy. We should change liturgy and it shouldn't be so structured. Yeah. Well, you know, Protestants fall into a liturgy too. Catholics didn't fall into it. It was given to them by Christ. Right. We're going way too long today, but well, they, a minute. what they say is, um, or what I would say is oftentimes you go to a mega church. It has the same thing. Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, kind of warm up time, greeting time, take your cup of coffee into the auditorium. 
you've got slow song, fast song, two fast songs, slow song, reading of a scripture passage, 40-minute sermon, slow song, fast song, slow song, you know? Yeah. And that's, there's nothing, I mean, that's great. Those are fine things, but but I just, I think there's irony sometimes when people say, oh, Catholics, they always do the same things. It would be rad if, like in at Red Rocks, it went from their like pump up music and then Chad would come on stage and everyone's like all hyped. Yeah. When you started walk, processing down the aisle, he's like, yeah, Father Brian. Yeah, we're, like, <laughs> we're not going to do that. High fives. I'm going to, I might do it. I'm going to whip it. I'm going to change this game. People at Lourdes would not like that. Neither would I. It's not good for the liturgy. Um, we're grateful to you all. Thanks for listening. Uh, do email us. We forgot to say it at the beginning, but it's on the notes I saw for the show. It is. Email That's us. Your recommendation. Rant at Lords Denver. Uh, we love talking about this stuff. There's always stuff I wanted to talk about today and we didn't get to, but lordsdenver.org. Rant at lordsdenver.org. Yep. Not com. Um, yeah. Thanks for listening to uh, Patrick and Sweetness, Father Brian. No, no, that's, that's Eric <laughs> Schmidt. 100%. I'm going to come up with something like that for you. Anyways, email us. We're super grateful and we will. Talk to you next week. See you next time. Peace out, Cub Scout.